Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of React Native Radio. My name's James and I'm going to be your host for this episode. Uh, Tim and Ricky aren't available today, but we're joined by Yair Baron, who is going to discuss today's topic with us, test like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yair, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Yair. I'm uh, from a company called TestFerry. Uh, TestFerry is a mobile testing platform. Um, I'll tell you all about it um, in the next uh, in this episode. Um, in general, we help companies streamline their uh, mobile development process. We do quite a few things in the um, uh, mobile space. We handle app distribution uh, in an enterprise environment, connecting to your single sign-on and so on. We can record videos showing you what users did while using your product. Uh, we allow users to report bugs by shaking their device and they can sketch on the screen. We integrate with your Jira, Trello, Slack. We do a lot of things. Um, and uh, before doing TestFerry, um, I was uh, a mobile, I was a developer. Uh, I wrote code in C++ and in Java, uh, mostly server-side. Um, I was doing a lot of marketing. And uh, TestFerry is here for uh, seven years already. And um, this is me. Wow, that's a, a really very career. I like it. Hey, folks, are you trying to figure out how to stay current with React Native? Maybe you heard the Chain React conference was canceled and you're a little bit sad about that. Well, I borrowed their dates and I'm doing an online conference. So if you want to come and learn from the best of the best from React Native, then come do it. We have people like Christopher Shadow from Facebook. He's going to come and he's going to talk to us and answer questions about the origins of React Native. We're also going to have Gant Laborde from Infinite Red and several of the panelists and past panelists from React Native Radio. So come check it out at reactnativeremoteconf.com. That's reactnativeremoteconf.com. Um, Test Ferry, though, that's your current project, isn't it? Yes, Test Ferry. Okay. Would you like to tell me and everybody else exactly what it is that TestFerry does and why I should be using it. Sure. So um, as I mentioned, uh, TestFerry does uh, quite a few things. Um, I think the highlight would be video recordings. We can uh, show you what users did while using your app before something went wrong. And by the nature of mobile development, when you have a problem, you need to talk to your user. And it's not like a, a bug that you would easily regenerate on your PC or your Mac. Um, the variety of devices and the environment and, um, factors are, uh, are so complicated. And if there's a problem on a mobile device, it would, it would help you a lot if you could see what the user did. So with Desperate, you'll be able to see a video showing what that user did, where they touched the screen, what was the exact experience, and if something went wrong, uh, if there's a crash or if you, the user had a feedback saying this is not working well, you will fully understand what they did before that problem. So that sounds that's incredible. That do with, with video recording. Yeah. So I, at the moment, if somebody's got a problem with uh, an app or a piece of software that I've written, sometimes maybe I get an email or a tweet or something, but nobody ever includes like, I'm on this version of iOS, I'm using this browser. This is exactly what I did. But uh, with TestFerry, I can literally get a video recording and I can see what the user was doing? Yes, and not only that, you'll get a video recording, you'll get logs from uh, the device, um, NSLog, uh, LogCat, you'll get uh, um, 
any parameter that we can pick up from the device. And we'll also monitor our levels of CPU, memory, phone reception, Wi-Fi. So you can have um, uh, a very large amount of information that can help you understand uh, what happened there. If somebody's uh, uh, driving their car and there's a problem because they had no reception and then the app crashed. Um, in many cases, you will need that information and you'll see, okay, there's no reception here. And, that, and, that's, and that's where the problem started. Or you can see that there's a network request. Um, the, the app is contacting the server. It takes a few seconds and then the server sends a reply and then there's a crash. The user is usually not aware of that. Uh, with Testberry, we monitor also a network call. So it will help you to, to empower your testing and put it on steroids. It's like if you could, you, you could connect um, any, um, uh, I like to call it the uh, CT and MRI and EKG and X-ray and any medical device to your uh, <laughs> mobile app. Yeah. As if you could debug that in the field with thousands of users, um, you will fully understand what's happening on every one of those devices. Awesome. And uh, I'm guessing we just we just load in the software just as part of the page loading. It would just run in the background. It just monitors stuff. Yep. Testbury has an SDK. It requires one line of code. Uh, we support um, every platform, of course, React Native and Flutter and, uh, and, and everything that... Uh, you might be using um, and uh, <clears throat> integrating the SDK is very easy. And once mm -hmm. the SDK is in and you call test very begin, then recording will start. Nice. What's the, uh, what's the overhead like on sort of processor and stuff? So uh, I always like to say that there's no overhead and then explain mm -hmm. that there's a very little overhead uh, because there's no such thing as no overhead. Uh, but uh, um, the overhead is, uh, is very low. Um, we actually take a screenshot once every second and push those screenshots to the cloud and do all the video processing on the cloud. So we don't do any video processing on the client and we don't save anything to the disk. Now, if the network is slow, then we'll reduce the frame rate to uh, one frame per two seconds or per three seconds. So we'll make sure that we are not causing any overlay, uh, overload on the uh, um, CPU. If, if we'll slow down your app, uh, we'll be kicked out the next minute. So uh, I know that there is zero tolerance to anything that will slow down your, your product, especially uh, in testing. So um, it works pretty good. It works. That's really good. So I, I've got... Um... I won't mention any names, but some of the work that I've been doing for clients uses uh, some extra software, which does it does some of the things that you're talking about, um, and it has quite a large overhead. Like we we're adding over a second loading times to applications and stuff uh, for things that it really shouldn't be taking that long. So it's great to see that you've got a bit of an eye on the fact that performance really does matter. And like if you, if you need an app like TestFerry to be successful, you need it to be pretty invisible in the background for the users. Absolutely. We did quite a lot of work in that uh, area. Um, there, there are lots of mechanisms that, that will detect that the, the, the app is working too hard. And now this is the time to go idle because you would prefer your app to work perfectly and not have any monitoring than having a monitoring that will escalate a problem. So if the app is working too slow, the network is too slow, and mm -hmm. there is any problem, we'll go idle, wait for it to uh, recover, and then come back. 
And of course, we'll wow. we'll we'll no we'll have an event saying we're going idle because of that problem because uh, we don't want to cause any inconvenience. But we we have zero complaints about that. And uh, um, I will say that if it's a game with you know sixty frames per second, then that is something else. But most of the apps uh, don't have those problems. Awesome. So uh, the video sounds like it's kind of one of the killer features. Um, what else does it do that is going to be beneficial? So uh, other things that we do is uh, allowing users to report bugs from the app. So you can shake your device and then you can sketch on the screen and point out anything graphic you want to say, you want to send to that developer. Um, instead of sending them a screenshot manually and downloading that screenshot and sending it by email or uh, uh, opening a Jira ticket or sending it on WhatsApp, whatever, just shake your device, sketch on the screen and hit the send button and we'll post it to Jira uh, on your behalf. So we can work with Jira, Trello, uh, Slack, um, uh, GitHub issues, even if it's Jira server behind firewall, we can work with that as well. Um, so um, it is very important to, uh, to help the tester to report as many bugs as possible. If they'll think twice before reporting that bug, and say, uh, probably somebody else has already reported that, or it's probably- You've worked with testers before, haven't you? It's probably not important (laughs) enough for me to send an email about it. And in in those cases, you might miss uh, valuable information. So if all the user needs to do is shake their device and hit the send button, that uh, that will, uh, they're more likely to report that bug. And that's the bug that we might be looking for. if, they're, if they won't report that bug during testing, we might find it at production. Um, so the, test, the, the, the purpose of a, testing, of a good testing process, the goal is to have as many reports as possible and then let us filter those reports in Jira or in Trello and um, think that's important, that not, let's not give the tester the, uh, the, the, to take the decision if that's important or not. Okay, I mean, that, that's actually a fantastic point because I'm certain that people have found bugs on work that I've seen in the past and they're just like, I just cannot be dealing with writing up a Jira ticket for something of this minor. But this is so, that feature is actually kind of for like the testers while you're in the development process, isn't it? So while you've got a test team out looking at it, they can just shake a test device. Yeah. That's absolutely. really nice. How long would it take you to open a Jira ticket? Five minutes? Ten? Three? It's more than, if you're using an app, yeah. we have, a, a, I'll, I'll talk here about a process we call continuous testing. Um, it's a process where company employees do a dog food process where um, they use their company apps. Um, one of our customers is Groupon. Um, it's a great company uh, and uh, they have several thousands of employees. And all their companies use the dog food app. Like, I think they call it cat food. Um, and on a continuous basis, they have published that information in several uh, case studies and then presentations they gave. So I'm not telling any secrets here. And um, the idea is that um, every new version that you build will be tested on a continuous basis. You don't need to um, send an app for testing. The, the fact that it's published, it's built on your Jenkins and then uploaded to a system like TestFerry 
and distribute it to all company employees and they use it continuously, that creates a process that never ends. And those people, um, if they're company employees, they want to help the company they work for. And uh, if they find a problem, they, they want to report that problem because they want the company to succeed and have good products. Now, no, they, they might be busy and they might say, okay, let's report that bug tomorrow morning because now I'm busy with my kids or I'm waiting for, uh, for the bus or I have an important phone call. If that will take them 10 seconds to report that bug, they'll do it now. And that's what I'm looking for. Report that bug now. Don't forget, because if you'll postpone that to tomorrow, you might not do that. You might forget that important comment that you wanted to add, and we might lose it. Okay, so we've also got a good reason, a good way to get bugs reported ASAP, which I think is really positive. I, I love that idea of just being able to shake a device and then immediately being able to give feedback to the developers. The fact that it automatically logs that, that would be super useful in like a, a dev environment. I can definitely see the benefit of that. Um, does this work on uh, non-mobile environments? Like if people are using, let's say, just a, a standard JavaScript kind of framework. No, just not at the moment. It's, no, it's got to be devices. iOS and Android. Okay. Okay, that's cool. Um, what's the most sort of popular platform of uh, the stuff is built in. Do you have stats on that? Like is React Native versus Flutter versus just normal native Kotlin? Native is, is there the are there any stats? React Native is definitely the most popular platform on our, uh, uh, on our database. Natch. Uh, Flutter is coming, uh, is coming up. Flutter is uh -huh. uh, becoming very popular. I see that developers love it. Um, I don't know where it's going and if it's going to compete or win, and no idea. Uh, it's a good it's a good platform, and I see the developers uh, enjoy using it. But mm -hmm. React Native is definitely uh, number one. That's actually really interesting. I I, I love hearing that kind of news. Obviously, um, what kind of numbers of uh, users do you have uh, who are using TestFair at the moment? Uh, we're talking about thousands of companies. Really, yep. fantastic. Yep. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call to help me find a developer who can build it. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile developers that you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to g2i.co to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i has linked me up with experienced engineers that can fit my budget and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to g2i.co to learn more about G2i. Um, so uh, apart from the video recording and the easy bug logging, what other sort of features does TestFray provide? So we spoke about a process called continuous testing where mm -hmm. you keep releasing apps to your audience and whenever there's a new version, you'll just release it and make sure that everybody's updated to the latest version. Now, uh, the next thing that we've uh, mentioned is making it easy for testers to report bugs. But now let's talk about developers. Um, we want to make it easy for the developers to work on those bugs. Uh, we want to make those bugs as meaningful as possible with as much information as possible. And um, we mentioned video recording. Uh, we know for a fact that it helps developers fix bugs between five to 10 times faster because they see what's happening. But 
we don't want them to log into multiple dashboards and look for information in so many places. So one of the things that we did um, that uh, turned out super successful was to integrate with uh, all the bug systems that we can find. Jira, of course, is the most popular. Jira, Trello, we work with Slack and uh, GitHub issues and, uh, and, and many others. And opening the right Jira ticket for that developer with a video, with the logs, with a screenshot, with the stack trace, putting all the custom fields in Jira uh, in the right place and creating a perfect bug report, that helps developers work faster. So it's not just the testers that need to do it faster. We want to help the developers process that information and put as much information as possible that will allow them to group the bugs, to prioritize them manually or automatically. You can sort the bugs and look for bugs that um, uh, were on specific devices or with specific attributes. For example, if it's a free user or paid user, if that's uh, somebody that is had a problem with a shopping cart or with a login page, it might be different priorities. So um, we try to push as much information as possible in a way that will allow you to process that information, prioritize that, and have all the information in one place. You don't want to log in to one server to look at the logs, another server to look at the crash report, another server to look at the video, and in between, go to your own systems, your own dashboards, and look for more information. We try to bring everything uh, in one place, so it will be easy for you to process. So yeah, what you've just described is literally exactly the environment I have found myself in before with some clients that I've worked with. So I have, you have a Jira ticket that somebody's probably a test has raised and maybe there's a couple of screenshots on there and then somewhere else you've got to log into Clicktail and there's a bit of a video with those kind of guys and there's literally a whole other platform uh, which has got all the logs and all the traces on and you've somehow got to bring all these things together and it's such a nightmare and all anybody really wants is one ticket that says, Hey, this is everything you need. Off you go. And actually I think that's, that is super powerful because I, the development side I can talk about, cause that's actually, that's what I do. So I know exactly how frustrating it is when you've got some information, but not all the information you need. And the worst thing is when you're chasing bugs that you don't have the exact details of how to replicate it. And so you're like, is this a one-off? Can I actually make this ever happen again? Is it a problem that's going to affect everybody? And maybe you're just missing a crucial bit of information. Um, that sounds really powerful. I mean, from my point of view, that's the kind of thing that I think is, is most impressive about this. Absolutely. So making everybody happy, that's our goal. Yeah. And uh, um, as I said, make it easy for the testers and the developers. And in between, you don't need anybody to do any manual work. Everything should be automatic for doing software. So um, when I talk to companies and being introduced to somebody that is, that he's in charge of signing the, t opening the tickets and then adding the screenshots and then uploading the stuff, that's a waste of time. Use yeah. a software to do that and, and you have another guy in the team that can fix bugs. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, one question that I have is about the screen recordings and how you deal with uh, user privacy. So if you've recorded somebody and they've got like uh, credit card details or address details or something, how is that handled with Test Ferry? So that's a great question. There are two, there, there are a couple of, there are a few layers of security that you need to handle. 
first, if you talk about that specific checkout page that has name, credit card, and CVV, you don't want anybody in the team to read the credit card and the CVV, even if it's for testing, because sometimes you'll test the app with real credit cards and you don't want to record sure. that. So um, we allow to hide specific areas uh, in the screen. You can uh, specify that uh, a text box that should be blacked out and it will be done on the client side. So that's easy. Um, another thing is encryption. Um, when you work with the uh, cloud platforms, um, you actually upload to the cloud a lot of information. Um, if you could encrypt that data with your private keys, that would be fantastic and that is something we support. So the way it works is that in the SDK, you put your public key and um, we'll help you create a public key and a private key it's two uh, uh, commands, it's very easy. In the SDK, you add your public key that is used for encryption. Um, on the, uh, and you keep your private key and you use it when next time you log into the system. Um, you never share the private key with anybody but your team. And the decryption is done in JavaScript on your browser. So in practice, all the information that is kept on our servers is encrypted as in, and it's impossible for us or anybody that will accidentally, God forbid, access the server, it's impossible to read that data. So this is a, uh, um, a best practice that we've uh, heard of and found and, and researched. And I would strongly recommend any SaaS provider to uh, allow that, to allow companies use their private keys to encrypt data so that uh, if, if, if something goes wrong, nobody can read your uh, business information. So uh, that's about hiding fields and about encrypting data. And on top of that, there's some um, um, corporate bureaucracy of working with single sign-on platforms. So if we'll work with a large company, we'll always, always integrate with their single sign-on. It could be Okta or Ping or, or IBM or, or Google or Microsoft, whichever single sign-on you might be using. So if somebody is leaving the company, you don't need to remove them uh, from every platform you're using. The, the IT team removes them from their Okta and then they cannot log in uh, to uh, anywhere else. And um, at the top of that, uh, we work with the companies in many cases who require private clouds or on-prem systems. So having those layers of encrypting the data and then using single sign-on and using a firewall and using a private cloud all those layers, one on top of the other, uh, provide, uh, provide a pretty good solution in terms of security. So we're very strict about that, and we, we encourage users to use all those methods. Yeah, that's, that's pretty thorough. I like the, uh, the single sign-on thing you're mentioning there as well. So you can imagine in like a corporate environment that wants to bring this in, that makes it very quick and easy for everybody to get access and integrate. Absolutely. If you have companies with thousands of employees, every day somebody's leaving and somebody's joining, you will never update all those systems with new employees. It's, a, it's not, not talking about a waste of time. It's impossible. You and the R&D will never know about somebody else that joined the marketing team. And you want that marketing guy to help you with testing. You want them to be able to download your, uh, your consumer app that you're working on and that will help you test it. Uh, by the way, we didn't discuss that about the audience that uh, um, uh, can, be, can use your app in the company, but the idea of having company employees test your app 
at not only the R&D and the QA and the technical guys, that person in the marketing and in the sales and that secretary from the second floor or anybody in the company that has a mobile device can help you test. And uh, the less technical they are, the closer they are to your customer and they behave like your customer. They could be brilliant people, but not technical. And they'll use your app and they'll watch it and they won't know if they should click on this button or the other button and they'll make a mistake and then you'll see it and say, okay, everybody's making that mistake. We are all engineers. We know that if there's a green button and a red button, we should push the green button. <laughs> Everybody else is pushing the red button. Let's think about it or, or whatever. Or they might be using you know, um, uh, crappy devices that they bought in the market that are not standard and they have those problems that you're looking for. Um, so, uh, oh, that's a good point as well. I, so, I like that a lot. Yeah, the, the test suite is never going to encompass everything, is it? So most most test suites I've worked with are the latest mm, three to five handsets from a variety of manufacturers. Exactly. And How I, many devices can you have exactly, on your yeah. set in the office? Ten? Or if you mm. have a lab with 30 devices, you're working with, in a company that has thousands of employees. If all those thousands of employees could use your app on the devices that they use, even if they're with, with their uh, um, uh, uh, families, it could be even better. And you can create a large audience that will, will help you. So um, making it big and uh, know who you work with. Interesting. Does, um, just from a, like a practical point of view, in order to test an atlas in development using TestFerry, is there a, a, a sort of a proprietary piece of software you need to download on your phone? Or literally, how do you put it in? So, sorry, the sort of shake to report a bug feature. How do you turn that into development and production mode on your app? So, like, presumably, when you ship your app, you don't want users to be able to shake their device and report bugs or accidentally do things like that, but you do want it to be very accessible to anybody you have who's testing it. So how do you sort of uh, turn that on and off and how do people who are testing it get access to the test features? So that's an excellent question. The, the, obviously we have an SDK that you add to your app and you can um, um, make it behave differently in release and debug versions. So uh, in debug, right. you'll just start, you, you'll call test very begin, that's the function that initializes the SDK You'll call it when the app starts. Um, and in release, you might not add the SDK or add it uh, for a different use case. For example, reporting bugs. So if somebody in release wants to report a bug and they will contact your support team, uh, the support team might uh, um, reply, um, in order for us to understand the problem, would you mind going to the advanced support menu and click on report a bug? And at that time, in release, the user will see a disclaimer, you're about to be recorded for quality assurance purposes in order to help us reproduce a bug. The user will say yes. They'll see a blinking red dot saying you're now recorded, and they'll reproduce the bug. And the time from a bug report through escalation to the R&D will be zero because you don't need the support team to understand what's happening for so many people. They will understand right away and they will be able to escalate that bug in one click and push it to your Jira. And um, the, 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 the time that will, you'll handle tickets will, will get lowered dramatically. 
So it's very important, the privacy thing. If you're uh, recording live traffic, we encourage uh, um, uh, developers to notify the user you're about to be recorded for quality assurance purposes. And um, if the user knows that they're recorded, it's okay. So transparency is very important and um, you need to notify the users uh, what's happening. So just to, to sum it up, the difference between debug and release in, in debug, you could record everything. It's company employees. They're, they should be okay with that. They'll be notified and they'll agree to help you. Uh, if you're uh, uh, going to uh, uh, record live traffic, it's very important that users will know what's happening. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Yeah, I'm hearing you, you talk about the process that it's clear just how much time gets saved um, without having to have people interfere and, and pass data between different people in order to get it from the user to a developer. To have that just automated and put through, that's, that's such a nice feature to have, I think. Let, let me give you two numbers that uh, I heard from a large telco uh, we work with in the U.S., um, what they say is that uh, when they communicate with customers, they need four round trips of emails until they understand, in average, until they understand the problem. Mm -hmm. Another interesting number was that their conversion rate, the number of people who return, reply on their emails, and uh, they'll get a reply on every 10 emails. So they get 10% conversion on emails and they need four round trips. Um, you do the math and understand that they need thousands of people with a problem to understand what's happening. And if they'll be able to reduce that number instead of four round trips, if somebody contacts support and they get an automatic response, we got your request, you're being handled, you're number three in the queue, until we get to it, would you mind going to advanced support, click on the reproduce a bug and reproduce it. Uh, and then the support team will fully understand what's happening. And they don't need the user to reply on emails. They can escalate the problem, escalate the bug in zero time. And that makes the whole process more efficient. So that's another way to look at this technology. That is a great stat. I, I guess it, it didn't occur to me just the number of times you would have to reach out to a user in order to get actually what you need from them. Because of course people aren't that inclined to help out really. Like they're happy, they'll click a button and say that this is broken, but then the yes. onus, exactly. The, the, average, the average user will contact support and say, the app is not working. And then you'll ask, what exactly is not working? And <laughs> yes. he'll reply, the button is not working. And you'll ask him, which button are you clicking on? Said, the green button. And you'll ask the one that says this or that. And did you have Wi-Fi or 3G? I don't remember. There's so many questions. 
And the, the, um, sometimes I feel sorry about for, for support teams that they need to ask so many questions until they figure out um, what's happening. And the better your support team, the, the best support teams are the ones that can figure out things in, in, uh, very fast. Um, and um, that, that will help them close the loop faster. And, and, and more than that, think about how many times you got an email from your cellular carrier and replied. You probably never replied or replied very few times if they had a problem. Yeah, I, so, I tend to not. <laughs> the average, we tend not to reply. So the statistics that I heard that 10% reply suddenly made so much sense. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately in most cases, I'm not within the, those 10% that reply because, you know, people are busy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so this sounds, I, I've worked in places that I think would definitely benefit from this kind of software. I, I think it sounds really cool. If I wanted to use it for my own tiny personal projects that I'm working on at home. Um, and I'm just, I'm just interested to know how many people and how many developers you've got working there in order to actually produce this. So, uh, we're 10 guys and, uh, most of us, uh, work in, uh, in development yep. uh, and even the ones who don't code uh, are developers with their background uh, both me and my co-founder Gil was uh, uh, and this is the third company we started together uh, we're both developers and we worked in the same team um, many years ago and that's where we met we started this company uh, uh, after in our previous company we developed mobile apps and uh, we were looking for a solution that will help us uh, uh, test a new Android app that we developed. We developed a new app, we shipped it to a partner in Japan, and it didn't work. We lost the contract and we had no idea what happened back, uh, uh, back there. And uh, we were looking for tools that will help us understand what the users did while using our app um, and what made it crash or what made them not happy. And that's when the idea came up. And uh, we developed a new tool that uh, helped us back then with our app. It's still in the app store. It's called GroupShot. It's still working. When we realized that it's working well, we shared it with a few friends. They said that uh, it's amazing and they want to use it. And we said, okay, yeah, we'll share it with you. And we realized that it's much bigger than uh, developing the apps that we're uh, doing back then and we started a new company for that that's fantastic so this is actually just forged from your own necessity of needing to monitor your own apps uh, yeah if, if you could uh, say um, it's it is definitely yeah okay that's I it's amazing when something you create that's sort of something that you you make for you actually gains that traction you realize how popular it can become and the fact that it's now a fully fledged company You've been, you've been doing it for a few years now, yeah? Uh, absolutely. I will say yeah, that uh, I think that uh, um, I've seen quite a few companies who came up with ideas that the founders, problems that the founders had and the solutions became new products. And that's actually very dangerous because you might fall in love with your own problem and think that everybody, help, everybody else have the same problem. <laughs> and um, between you and me, we saw so many startups that solve problems that we don't have. And you think, who has this problem? 
And apparently, somebody had that problem and thought it's a good idea to create a solution for that problem. But uh, before making it into a company, um, you need to make sure that um, it, is, uh, it is a good idea that will turn into a good business. Uh, that's really great advice for, I think, anybody looking to do anything on their own, isn't it? And you're, uh, you're an experienced CEO. You've been doing this for a long time, haven't you? So you must have seen, you must have seen some sites in your time? Seen a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think obviously focusing on is, is the problem really something that needs solving? I think that must be high on the list of things that everybody should look at. And I, I'm sure I've done work on things before that realistically you decide it's a really good idea. And when it comes down to it, there's no real need for it. There's no market for it when it really happens. I think that validating ideas is, is critical in, in the startup world. As I said, so many people work on solutions for problems that not that many people have. And you need to make sure that uh, um, it's, this problem is real. Um, there's a book that I uh, really like. It's called Validating Product Ideas by a guy called Tomer Sharon. Um, he was a UX researcher in Google and in WeWork and several other, several other companies. And what he writes in that book, which I love, is uh, he has some methods of how to validate an idea to make sure that um, um, it's going to be a successful product and you're not, you're not just solving your own problems. And there, there are a few examples there. Um, if you look at uh, like a dog walking app, if you're going to de- develop the next dog walking apps, app um, and you're going to interview your friends or people to make sure that they're going to buy a product or there is a validation for that idea. Um, don't go and ask them, would you buy that app? Would you spend a dollar on this? Ask them about their habits, about their problems, about their challenges. Ask them about their dog and how many days they take out their dog. And if they, uh, they're in the office, do they miss their dog? And did they ever call somebody to take out their dog when they're uh, in the office and can't leave the ha- uh, and go back home so early and go around it and ask them if they spend money on quality food for their dogs or vitamins or dog just eat the leftovers. And if they bought the, the, the most expensive, sexy, beautiful leash or they just improvise and see if they're spending money on their dog and if they have a problem of taking out the dog and all that answers your question and you don't need to ask them, would you buy that app or would you pay for the service? Because if you ask the right questions, then you have the answers um, uh, in, a very, uh, in a very good way. So if you're building a product, you need to get into the head of your audience and ask the right people um, about their challenges, their problems. You might uh, figure out that there's another problem next door that this is the, you know how to solve that problem and this is a much bigger problem and um, not only that um, uh, app that you wanted to develop. That's very interesting. Um, I, I think actually this is your pick for this week, isn't it? The, uh, the book. Yeah. So that's um, Validating Product Ideas by Thomas Sharon. Um, it's interesting. That reminds me a lot of uh, the sort of psychology of sales. Um, and a, a long time ago, I, uh, I used to work in sales and retail. And one of the things that we discussed was pretty much what you're saying, which is asking people specifically about a product isn't necessarily the right way 
to gauge what they're interested in purchasing. It's to ask about their habits and to ask them around what it is that they would enjoy in that part of their lifestyle. And um, you can gauge from there exactly what kind of things it is that they may be interested in purchasing. So precisely as you're saying, just directly asking people, would you like to buy this app is very different from finding out their habits. And then you will be able to judge what features on an app would actually be tailored towards them. Absolutely. There are, there are lots of tricks in this, uh, in this area. If, um, if you're using an app like WhatsApp, think of the uh, experiments they did when they added the button that allows you to send voice messages. If I were in their place, I would add a button that doesn't do anything and just measure how many times people click on the send voice message to see if people actually want to send a voice message and then um, collect the data about who wants to send that voice message and what did they do before and after or where did they do it and what state of their you know, usage. And uh, um, there, there are so many tactics of you know, fake doors and, and if you want to try to sell something, try to get the credit cards. Go to your investors and tell them, I managed to get 20 credit card numbers on this product it's much more validation than I interviewed 20 people and they said yes. If they said yes, it doesn't mean anything. I want to make sure that they want to pay. So Very nice. Cool. Um, I guess that just brings me on to my pick for the week. Uh, this week, I, I feel like I come up with something not technical most weeks now, but um, I've just upgraded all of my cookware and I can't say how happy I am with it. Uh, I do all the cooking at home. Um, I bought a load of uh, Le Creuset uh, non-stick pans and a couple of cast irons as well. And I'm having a fantastic time using these things. Um, I really recommend to anybody who's thinking about it, um, fine French cookware. It's expensive, but I think it's definitely worth it. Uh, this is perfect timing where everybody's working from home. So uh, well, that's it, isn't it? You can place some links uh, uh, and uh, at the right place. Uh, it will be interesting to see it. <laughs> yeah okay well um i think that wraps us up for the day so uh it just leaves me to say thank you very much to your ear how could people get in touch with you if they want to uh shout out to you so uh um they can go to our website it's testfairy.com mm -hmm. and they can find me on linkedin and um, spell your name my name y-a-i-r um space b-a-r hyphen o-n and that's yeah your bar on and they can find me on uh, Twitter. It's Y-A-I-R-B-A. And if none of these didn't work, then um, they can find other uh, ways to find me. Of course. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, you can get me on Twitter. My handle's at Stern Job Name. And if you'd like to just tweet React Native Radio, the Twitter handle's uh, React Native underscore RNI. It would be really cool to get your feedback on the episodes and just hear if there's anything else you'd like to hear going forward. Until next week, see you later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.